What is up, everyone? This is Rafael Garcia here with Schwan Humes, who is in a car somewhere in the middle of Texas, but we're still going to bring you episode 217 of the MMA Ratings podcast. Today is Wednesday, September 15th, and we have quite a bit to talk about today. But before we do, I'm going to jump into, before we jump into all of that, as always, I want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to this show. As always, you can catch us across multiple platforms, anywhere podcasts are found, including Spotify, Anchor, um, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes, and Breaker as well. You can check us out at MMARatings.net or .com for all of our main content. And you can hit us up at MMARatingsNet on Instagram and Twitter. Follow me at Garcia underscore sports and Shawan Humes at Black Jordan Breen. Yeah, I really, really should follow. And I, I hate to be, I hate to be this guy, but I have to stick up for our, our platform. There's a lot of good platforms with a lot of good information. But I'm telling you now, there's people from America, from all the camps y'all like, all the fighters y'all like. They're they're calling me because they want me to watch sparring film. They want me to break people down. I got people from England, Japan, Brazil sending me links to watch their sparring. Hey, can you break this down for me? Can you tell me what you think? Like we know what we are talking about. Now, the, only, the main difference between us is we're not connected to a big platform, so we say what we want. We say the things they want to say. So if you want to get kind of an unfiltered perspective, you can always come over here because we're just saying, we're saying, we're calling it how we see it. We're not worried about losing access. We're, we're just here to call it as, as we see it, here to represent the sport and talk straight about the sport. Yeah, that's very true. We've been doing that for a little while. So, you know, it's just another day, another dollar here at another episode of this show. Like I said, we're 217 episodes in. So, Shawn, let's jump right into it. And I want to talk about boxing first. And with that in mind, I want to hit this this fight that was just announced, I believe, today, yesterday, maybe? I think yesterday. Terrence Crawford and Sean Porter, they are fighting on November 20th. Now, these are two names that we've talked about pretty much on this show as well. There are two names who I think people should be really interested in, but from a technical standpoint, that's where we always start. Let's hit that first. What are your thoughts about uh, Porter and Crawford and when they step into the ring in two months? Well, technically, the better boxer should be um, Terrence Crawford. He's a switch hitter. He can fight from either stance. He's probably better at range, probably better at mid-range, probably the better defensive boxer and the better and ha- has a deeper skill set as far as his offensive boxing. He can box you at range. He can box you at mid-range. He can box you in close in a phone booth. He can fight a little bit off the back foot. He can counter. He can lead. He attacks in layers. He throws in combinations. He has a good jab. He can counter. He can do a little bit of everything. He can do it pretty well. Um, as far as Porter... Porter is more of an educated brawler to me. A lot of what Porter's success is, is he's a very smart fighter, and he plays to his strengths. He's very physical. He can fight at a very high pace. His cardio is always on point. He's very strong, and he's pretty durable. So his technique, to me, has never been outstanding, but he has enough technique. But, he ha- but more important than his technique is his intelligence and how he uses the technique he has, has. I won't say that he's a... I wouldn't consider him a top 10 boxer as far as technique, but I would consider a top 10 fighter as far as He's got a good feel for the sport. He's got a good IQ as far as processing things when it's happening. And even if the execution isn't perfect, nine times out of ten, the idea he has or the approach he has is actually the correct one. 
So with all of that in mind, how do you expect this fight to go? Um, do you think it'll be one-sided, or who do you think will come out with the win and how? Well, on paper, Crawford should be the clear winner. He's the more accomplished guy at the world level. He's beaten more world champions. He's, he's probably shown more skills. But the thing about Crawford is this. At 147, we haven't seen him face any real resistance. He fought named guys who have names, the guys who were far past their prime. He fought um, Brooke, and he fought Amir Khan. Two guys who at one point were top seven welterweights, multiple championships of welterweights, guys with good, with, in the case of Brooke, physical, strong, power, good boxing skills. In the case of Khan, more of a, a one-dimensional box fighter is that he's offensively gifted, but real fast hands, good power, uh, great offensive skills. But neither one of those guys at this point had any physical, neither one of them was known for being particularly durable. And at this stage of the game, neither one could really take a punch. Neither one was physical enough to kind of stand up to Crawford when he started imposing his will. And none of them could take enough of a punishment that once he started landing, they could fire back. So pretty much in his last two years or so, Crawford really hasn't faced anybody with the pedigree capable of really challenging him, like somebody who, who's got as much experience on the world level as him or close to it. He hasn't faced a guy who is physically enough, strong enough to kind of, when he pushes him, push back, or a guy who could maybe move him back. And he hasn't faced a guy who's durable enough that their skills could be the determining factor. Because as soon as Khan got hit, he was done. As soon as Brooke got hit, he was done. The thing that Porter represents is Porter, if you look at his resume, he's got one of the deepest resumes of any fighter in this period. And he hasn't won them all, but he's fought almost every named guy, every tough challenge in the welterweight division. Danny Garcia, Keith Thurman, uh, the new champion, Ugas. He fought him. He fought Kell Brook before. He's, he just fought, he's fought a number of guys. Adrian Broner is another guy he's fought. He's fought a number of high-level guys, and more times than not, he has won. So we know that he's a legitimate, world-class guy because he's consistently fought and competed well with legitimate world-class guys, and he's beaten them. He even competed with Errol Spence. So we know that Porter's durable. We know that Porter's in good shape. We know that Porter's not going to break mentally. And we know that Porter's got enough skill and a high enough IQ to fluster even established, technical, um, confident, and competent fighters. We don't know what Terrence Crawford's going to do when he's, he's going to be in a real fight. And when I say real fight, a fight where he can't just land one or two shots and the guy's going to back off. He can't just get his hands on somebody and bully them and push them all around the ring. And somebody, he can't just intimidate with his power. Sean Porter will not be intimidated. Sean Porter probably is not going to get tired. Sean Porter is not going to get physically bullied and moved around the ring. You may try to outbox Sean Porter, but if you try to outbox him, Sean Porter is going to try to fight you. If you try to fight you, fight Sean Porter. Sean Porter isn't a great boxer, but he's going to try to mix in some boxing to disrupt you and allow his physical tools to come to bear. We don't know how Terrence Crawford is going to react at this weight and at this level against somebody who can physically match him in large, in large degrees. And somebody who, even though he has a huge technical skill over, he doesn't have a huge amount of experience, skill. He doesn't have a huge advantage as far as experience or world-class competition. Sean Porter is a known quantity at 147. We know he can go against the best, beat some of the best, and compete with some of the best at 47. Nobody knows that against Terrence Crawford. Everything we assume about Terrence Crawford is based off what he did at other weight classes. So this is Terrence Crawford's chance to have a coming out party and show that he's really the guy that he says he is. I expect a pretty pitched battle because Terrence Crawford is going to look to finish. 
And I expect Terrence Crawford to get hurt sometime in this fight because in looking to finish, he has such a mean streak. He opens himself up to be countered. He opens himself up to be hit. And he's been hurt a couple times when he's faced real opposition. And against Sean Porter, it's going to be the best opposition he's faced in probably the last three to five years. So Crawford's coming in as a champion, facing a former champion in um, Sean Porter. Now, Crawford hasn't fought since November of last year. Do you think being off a year, well, by this time it will be a year, by the time they do fight, how much of an impact do you think that that will play in, in Crawford's performance? Crawford's a veteran fighter. I don't think he'll play as much performance. He's still in his prime. What's going to make a big difference for him is even though he's been active, he hasn't faced any resistance. Kell Brook was tough until Crawford hit him. Then Kell Brook was done. Amir Khan had some, issue, some issues to present him, but as soon as he put a couple shots on Amir Khan, it was over. So even though he's been active, he hasn't been really having to work. He hasn't been pushed. He hasn't been in any danger. So it's not so much inactivity. It's a lack of quality opposition. It's like, um, you know, you grapple. If you've just been grappling in a bunch of white belts, and then you go into a tournament, let's say it's a brown belt tournament, you've been grappling a lot, but you've been grappling guys so far below you, your conditioning isn't ready because you haven't had to work. Your mind isn't working as quick because you've been able to basically pick whatever you want to finish. Your flexibility, everything isn't sharp because you haven't had it, you haven't had it been tested regularly. He hasn't been tested in any shape, form, or fashion. Sean Porter hasn't had an easy fight in I think his last fight was Errol Spence. That was a current champion. He beat Ugas a couple, like a year and a half ago or so, who ended up being a champion. You know, I mean, he, he's been active and he's been in tough fights. Now, that could backfire on him because he could be worn down. But let's assume he's not worn down and he's still in his prime, which I think he is. We know that Sean Porter can go hard 12 rounds against different styles, different levels of skill. We don't know that about Terrence Crawford, and we don't know how much this layoff is going to affect him. Because even though he's fought twice, he hasn't been forced to fight. They've been one-sided affairs. He's basically assaulted two guys in a boxing ring and called it a fight. It wasn't a fight. It was one-sided traffic. Now he's going to actually have to be in a fight. And we have not seen Terrence Crawford in a fight in probably about a year, two years. A year and a half, two years, we have not seen Crawford in a fight. Sean Porter has been in a fight every time out. We know what Sean Porter can bring. We know how sharp he's going to be. We know he'll be ready for it. Terrence Crawford? Given his pedigree and his class, yeah, I'm sure he'll be ready. But based off of who he's had to fight and the challenges that presented him, um, this this might take a little bit of time for him to adjust to the challenges in front of him. So if Crawford loses, how big of a hit is that to his legacy? Is that obviously he'll lose the belt, of course, but still, but we all know that belts don't mean as much as they once did when it comes to boxing is more about legacy and who you fought and who you beat when you beat them. So if Crawford takes an L, what does that mean for him? Well, for him, it won't affect his legacy because he's been a multiple champion at multiple weight classes and a dominant champion. What it's going to do is take him off the the ratings as one of the best welterweight because Sean Porter lost to Keith Thurman. Sean Porter lost to Errol Spence. Terrence Crawford loses to Sean Porter. Sean Porter is like fourth or fifth as far as welterweight. Um, if Crawford loses to him, then Crawford gets knocked down the list. He will no longer be considered one of the pound-for-pound pound best. He will no longer be considered a top five welterweight. And people are going to have questions 
about all his claims that he was the man at welterweight. They're going to say, well, he was never the man. He was a fraud. He was fighting for top rank, fighting a bunch of has-beens, and that's what made him look good. He actually was never as good as he, he said he was, and it's going to be a huge setback in that regard. His overall career won't, won't be too harmed because you can't take away his accomplishments. But all the talk about him being a future Hall of Famer and pound for pounder, that's going to get put on pause because he, he would have lost to a guy who's never really been able to beat the elite welterweights. He's been very good. He's been world-class. He's never been elite guys. So um, it won't change my opinion of Crawford, but it'll change a whole lot of people's opinion of Crawford and his earning ability and his position as a draw, whatever position he has, and his position as a fighter will take a dramatic hit. He'll drop down. He'll drop down a lot. And all those fighters who wouldn't fight him before are going to be like, yeah, you're great. Yeah, Sean Porter's tough, but I beat Sean Porter. Keith Thurman's going to be like, I beat Sean Porter. Errol Spence will say, I beat Sean Porter. And he'll never get that Errol Spence fight. The only way that fight stays in play is if he beats Sean Porter. He might not get it anyways, but the only way that fight stays in play is if he beats Sean Porter. He loses to Sean Porter. He loses a lot of money. He takes a step back as far as his rankings and the whole perception of him as a welterweight changes. If Sean Porter beats him... Uh, Sean Porter's career is made. It's the biggest win of his career at the best time in his career. And he could legitimately, legitimately start having a discussion for possibly um, being at the top of the welterweight class or potentially even he gets a couple more big wins, potentially maybe having a, being a fringe contender for a Hall of Fame career. He beats Crawford. He, gets a, he definitely gets a second rematch. He gets a rematch with Spence. And if you could beat Spence, well, then we talk in a whole nother world for, for, um, for Sean Porter. But for Crawford, if he loses, um, his overall career will not be damaged, but his standing as a welterweight will be seen, his, his whole time as a welterweight is going to be seen as a sham because he never faced one world-class welterweight, real world-class welterweight, and the first one he faced, he lost. So a lot of the shine will be taken off of, Sean, of Terrence Crawford. True, I see what you did there, sir. So the last question I want to ask about this before we move on to another topic is for the casual fans, the fans who may not watch every boxing showcase, who may not watch um, boxing on Fridays on ESPN or Wednesdays, whatever day it comes on now or whatever other platforms they may be able to find it. Is this a fight that casual fans will tune into? Is this a fight that people will pay for? I believe it's going to be on pay-per-view as well, too. Is this something that will cause people to stop and spend their money, spend their time, spend their Saturday evening watching? Or is this a fight that's more for hardcore fans? I mean, it's for hardcore fans because of the quality of the fight, but it's a, it's a, it's a favorable stylistic matchup. Sean Porter generally isn't in bad fights. His fight with Danny Garcia was very good. His fight with Keith Thurman was very good. His fight with Ugas was hotly contested. His fight with Kell Brook was pretty good. His fight, his fight, uh, his, he's generally in very good fights. Um, for, and with Crawford, as good as Crawford's been, when Crawford faced world-class guys, he's gen- guys who can push him, he's generally been entertaining. So this fight, for all intents and purposes, should help boxing is it's going to be a high-level fight, and it's going to be a high-action, action, high-contact fight. Uh, Sean Porter's going to make it that way. I don't believe he can just purely box Terrence Crawford and have a chance to win. He's going to have to fight him a little bit. So it's going to be a high-action, high-contact-level fight. So from that perspective, fans should watch it. But Crawford's not a big, sexy name. Porter's not a big, sexy name. He did the fight with uh, Errol Spence, and I think that did 300,000 buys. They don't appeal to the casual fans because they don't really have a 
social media presence that expands outside of boxing. That's what people keep forgetting. Even in MMA, just because you're a boxing star, MMA star, does not mean you are a star star. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, as big, or con- as big as Conor McGregor is, is he more famous than Chris Brown? I don't know. Probably not. So even though it's a much less... But okay. Yeah, but it's, by the same logic, as famous as Errol Spence is, he's not as famous as Jake Paul or Logan Paul. So if you're expecting to do those kind of numbers, that's not going to happen. But they should do decent, maybe 300,000, maybe 400,000 buys. I don't believe anybody who signs on for this fight will be disappointed by the fight. But I don't think this fight is sexy enough or has guys who have enough charisma or enough of a storyline to draw in enough casuals for it to be like a 500,000 to a million buy. Uh, this isn't Canelo. This isn't Jake Paul. This isn't even Logan Paul, who's a, who's a, who's a pick and mover as a boxer. This is two very good guys who aren't super active in social media, don't have any crossover real potential or moves, who are just very good fighters. And just because you, something's a very good fight does not mean it's going to sell. It has to be a combination of fight and event. This will be an This is an event, but it's not a event. Like a Mayweather Canelo, Mayweather Pacquiao. Um, I hate to say it. Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley. Those are events. Not very good fights, but events. This is more of a very good fight, more so than an event. True, I understand that. I understand what you're saying. Um, I I'll be interested in seeing how my friends who also follow combat sports will be talking about this bout, if at all. Let's stick with boxing for our next topic. Probably be a more of a quick hitter here. Anderson Silva, he picked up a win over at Triller, defeating um, Tito Ortiz in like 46 seconds or something like that. But he got a lot of praise from Dana White. On uh, after on Tuesday after the Contender Series, where Dana said he might be one of the best combat sports athletes of all time. So let's talk about Anderson Silva here. And I got two questions for him, two thoughts. One, do you think he is a viable opponent for Jake Paul next, or is that a fight that Paul will not want to take? I, I think I'm, I'm getting the feeling right now that he's not interested in taking that fight at all. Would that be a smart decision for him? And if they were paired together, who would you favor? Uh, first thing, before I get into that, Anderson Silva would be considered one of the better combat sports fighters of all time just because now he's competed in two different sports and then fa- done fairly well in both of them. Only other person who, who's remotely close to this would be maybe uh, Lucia Riker. I think she did boxing and kickboxing. Um, Clarissa Shields, obviously. She's a high-level boxer, and she's starting in, in MMA, one of the few boxers who's done both at the same time, and now Anderson Silva. And beating Tudor Ortiz in boxing. Um, you could say Polly Holm. I don't know, yeah. But Henry I, yeah, but I don't think I don't know if they competed in both at the same time. That's the only reason I'm wondering. But it could be. But there's a, like you said, there are others. They're not as high profile as as big as big as being an Olympian is. I still say more people know who Anderson Silva is than know who Henry Cejudo is. Same with Holly Holm. But him beating Tito Ortiz is just icing on the cake. Don't think that Dana didn't notice that. Dana loves seeing Tito get his ass whooped and Tito getting iced in less than a, less than a round. You know, you know, Dana was loving it. Dana was loving it. He can't stand that dude. Um, but him beating Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. in that match is what makes this so reliable because Chavez is still in his prime. Chavez still could fight. In his last fight or one of his last fights, he fought Danny Jacobs. He quit 
But for that first eight rounds, he was giving Daniel Jacobs, who was a legit world-class fighter, he was giving him problems. It was a competitive fight. He just ultimately couldn't take it and quit, but he was very competitive with a guy who's, in, who's top 10 in his weight class. So for Anderson to go out and easily outbox Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. is impressive. Whether he, We know he's a quitter. We know he doesn't train appropriately. The fact of the matter is he's a world, he was a world champion and a fairly dominant one for a period of time. There's no way a guy should come in from another sport and be able to compete with him. Even if he lasts, he shouldn't win. And he beat him fair and square, outboxed him. So um, that's what that's what makes everything so much more successful. Beating over Tito is no big deal. Tito can't box, but beating a legitimate boxer over eight rounds and not just knocking him out, but actually outboxing him—that says something. Um, Jake Paul can't beat Anderson Silva. I know Anderson isn't what he used to be, but Anderson was still able to give a top ten fighter in MMA a good go. He wasn't like Woodley, where he's just, he's not winning rounds; he's just being consistently dominated. He's won rounds against Adesanya. He won rounds against Bisping. He beat Derek Brunson. You know, he's, he's been able to compete at a fairly high level against world-class opposition and do well. Even when he fought Jared Cannonier, before he got injured, he was doing well against Cannonier. He wasn't doing terribly against him. He was holding his own with him. So it's not like he was on this huge side. Was he not? Was he winning? No, but he was still very competitive. Woodley, up until the Luke fight, was getting crushed. So Anderson is still a viable MMA fighter. And also, he's a guy who's been boxing his entire career on the side. He's always boxed. He's trained boxing. He's respected boxing. He's not a guy who did MMA and boxed a little bit. He's a guy who, who immersed himself in boxing. So he's actually a guy who did MMA, and he knows how to box. He, he legit knows how to box. He's not coming in here, oh, let me work three, three months, two months, and work on my boxing. He knows how to box. So he'd be much better than Ben Askren, clearly. He's a better striker in MMA. He's a much better boxer than Askren, much better boxer than Woodley. He's not as young as them. He's probably not as athletic as them. But as far as skills and feel for the game and knowing how to control pace and do all that stuff, he's light years above them. I can't think of any world champion or former world champion who is close to his prime who Woodley could have beaten the same way that Anderson beat Julio Cesar Chavez. I can't think of anybody. I don't know that Woodley could beat uh, Pauly Malinagi at this point. And Pauly Malinagi isn't sharp. I don't, I don't know that he could beat him. I don't know who that he could beat of who's a world-class boxer, or even a former world-class boxer, even a decent boxer. I don't know who Woodley could beat. He'd have to go out there and show me. Anderson Silva went out there and beat a guy who less, less than a year ago was in a competitive match with a world-class former world champion. That says something about his skill set. He's light years ahead of Jake Paul. And Jake Paul's not bad, but Jake Paul is in it. I mean, legitimately, as a boxer, Jake Paul is not as skillful or as experienced or as practiced is uh, Anderson Silva. So let me ask this last question about this. If, let's say we go back in time, rewind the clock, and Anderson Silva goes to strictly boxing, never does MMA. How far does he go? What is his ceiling? I don't know. I really don't know. I, I know, I think he'd be good. I think he'd be good. Um, he'd probably be fighting at what? He wouldn't be fighting at one, 185. What would he be fighting? Yeah, he'd be probably fighting like one. He'd be fighting, he wouldn't be middle. He, he'd be around a cruiserweight. Like cruiserweight or light heavyweight, he might have had a chance because cruiserweight and light heavyweight have never been super deep divisions. They haven't been super tough divisions. So there's very good likelihood he could make some waves. I don't know if he'd be a world champion. I don't know that he'd be dominant, but he could probably carve out a pretty good career for himself as far as wins and losses go. Would he be like a Roy Jones level type guy? Maybe not. 
But cruiserweight is notoriously thin. Light heavyweight is notoriously thin as well. I believe he could at least compete at those weight classes and do so and do and do good. Like I said, I don't know if he's world champion. I don't know if he's a dominant top 10 guy. But I definitely think he could put some wins together. He could probably have more wins and losses. And I, I think he could probably get around the fringes of the world-class level. Depending on when he was doing it and the depth of the, the, the weight class, he might even actually get up into world-class level where he'd be fighting on HBO or Showtime. Would it be as famous, though? Uh, I don't think so. I, I don't. I don't think so. He'd have. I mean, it's, it's no, no. He wouldn't be as famous. I don't think so. Not, not at all. And not to say that you, MMA is more focused than that. But one, um, there was such a gap between him and everybody else. He was able to put on these highlight real finishes that kept him in the front of the uh, the media. These one kick knockouts and last minute submissions. It kept him in the front. It, it made him must must watch TV. I don't know that he'd be able to get such highlight real finishes or dominating finishes. In boxing, and even if he did, we've seen other fighters do it, and they don't have as much of an imprint on, on social media and the world as Anderson Silva does. You know, is Roy Jones is one of the probably the top best, you know, maybe, ten, fifteen fighters, and he's had some incredible finishes. But a lot of people still don't know who he is. He's still not famous, famous like that. You know, so I don't think he'd be as big. He maybe he would be, but I, I don't think so. All right, there, sir. Um, I got a couple other topics to talk about as well, too, in the world of combat sports. Joseph Benavidez retired, retired today, uh, multiple-time title challenger, but never got the belt around his waist. What do you think his legacy is in, in um, MMA? As a lighter weight fighter, along with Uriah Faber, he was one of the guys who helped build those lighter weight classes. Like Uriah Faber and him were fighting these guys they shouldn't have been fighting in different weight classes. And because of their popularity and their success in WEC and across the world, that's what made the UFC create these lower weight classes. I honestly believe they created that lower weight class because they thought Benavidez was going to win and they wanted him to be the face of the, uh, the uh, division. And to be honest, if he wins and he's the face of the division, the division might have more cachet. The division might have more of a name because he was very famous and he was very popular among fighters at all weight classes and, and fans of all weight classes. So if he's a champion instead of Demetrius Johnson, I don't know, maybe he's not as dominant in his run, but I think he would have got a little bit more fanfare, and I think he would have been pushed harder by the company. I think the division looks differently because he would have been a bigger star. I mean, even when Demetrius Johnson was a champion, the bigger star in the division was, was Benavidez. People loved him, and people wanted to see him win, and he was a good enough fighter for, for him to get all this, to deserve the support and faith he got from the fans. He was, I mean, for the weight class, he was no less than a top seven fighter, probably closer to a top three to five, to be honest. Great fighter, great fighter, great heart, great ability to adjust. He uh, grew over his career. He actually got better, a little bit more technical, a little bit more strategical. He uh, made changes, wholesale changes, and he was basically a dominant fighter for, what, the better part of 10, 13 years? You know? So... Looking at his resume, what do you think his most important win? For me, I think it sits between the Miguel Torres win, um, Eddie Wineland, when he beat Ian McCall or Henry Cejudo. Looking at, at, at his resume, what do you think his most important win is? Uh, probably Cejudo. I think Cejudo at that point because um, since he never won a title, the fact that he's beaten – a guy who, 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 in hindsight now, seems to be 
even though he didn't defend the title a lot, was considered one of the more impactful and potentially dominant fighters as two weight classes. I think that bodes well for him. How Cejudo soundly beat he beat Demetrius, even though some people say he didn't. He beat Marais. He beat him with an inch of his life. Stopped him. Who else did he? And then he beat Dillashaw, um, and he crushed Dillashaw. And Benavides found a way to beat him. It's one of those wins that wasn't considered super high at the moment. But as Cejudo continued to dominate and get better and get better and become more of a name, that win takes precedent over other wins because of who Cejudo beat before he won the belt and who Cejudo beat for the belt and who Cejudo beat after the belt. The Marais, the Demetrius Johnson, Marlon Marais, um, what's his name? TJ Dillashaw and then beating Dominic Cruz. That's a pretty impressive list of people to beat. Between Dillashaw, Demetrius Johnson, and Cruz, that's a, one of the most dominant world Bantamweight champions. Another um, dominant um, Bantamweight champion, even though he dropped down weight class, that's his choice. He beat two of the most dominant Bantamweight champions, and then he beat the most dominant and the first champion for the UFC championship in that weight class. And he, even though you say he lost or whatever, blah, 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 the fact of the matter is he improved. They called the fight for him. He beat him. So in a, in a sense, he beat one fighter who's probably in the top five of all-time fighters. He beat another in Dominic Cruz, who was probably considered, at worst, probably, some people say top 15, top 15, top 20 fighter. And then he beat DJ, DJ Dillashaw, who was also a top 15, top 20 fighter. Pretty much in a row. That's a pretty impressive, that's a pretty impressive thing to do. And Benavides can say, I beat that guy. Whether it's by close decision or not, I beat that guy. He was one of the best ever. His name's on my on his resume. He's got an L when he faced me, and that means something—not just who you beat, but what they did after you beat him. Because if they go on to future successes, it makes you look better. Think about this way: Conor McGregor beat Max Holloway. Everybody's like, "Yeah, he beat Max when he's young." It doesn't matter. Every win Max Holloway gets makes that win Conor McGregor got that much more impressive. Every win Jose Aldo win, gets, Conor McGregor say, "I that guy who who who's." beating up world-class bantamweights and beat up every featherweight except for Max Holloway, Volkanovski, and me, I finished that guy one shot. Max Holloway didn't finish him one shot. Volkanovski didn't finish him with one shot. I finished him. And every win he gets legitimizes me a little bit more. And Benavidez has that. Good stuff, man. I think that's some good um, analysis on what his legacy is in Again, MMA. Um, I, I, I think he... She's very attractive, so if we're just going by looks, then I guess I guess some championships come in those performs. Ha, talking about Megan Olivia, yeah, that is a big that is a big win for him there. So, I mean if that's if that's the consolation prize, most of us would <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Keep that bell, but he's going home with her regardless. You make you go in champion, you might not come out a champion. He went in, left, she's still there. So So I want to have a quick conversation about what is a very controversial topic that's come up over the last week, and that is Anna McLaughlin. If you do not know, she is the woman who um, won at Combates this past Friday, I believe it was. She is a transgender woman, and she defeated, I can't remember her opponent's name, but she she won via um, rear naked choke in the second round. After getting badly rocked in the first, she came back and got the victory. 
The reason why she's been a hotbed topic is around the point that she is a transgender woman, made a transition from a man to a woman and is fighting MMA. And you know how MMA and martial arts are. Everybody's up in arms about it. Um, the thing about it with mixed martial arts is there's a lot of bigotry that is sitting on the is hiding in plain sight for anyone who has any interactions with this boy. It's, it's there all day, every day. Bigotry, misogyny, any other ism that you can think of sits in mixed martial arts. And people are trying to hide behind the idea of safety for women's fighters who are fighting McLaughlin. But in reality, they're showing their transphobia. So it's a really interesting topic that I want to do some research in around like the science of it. Um, we know about Fallon Fox. Fallon Fox was, you know, she fought uh, when she was about 34 or 35 and a couple years after she made the transition from a man to a woman, the same topics came up there and it was talked about in the same way, unfortunately. But this is a pretty interesting conversation that I definitely want to dive into from a science standpoint because I don't know the science behind it. And I definitely want to look at it from that point. But the bigotry that's circling around uh, MMA and that keeps bubbling up in combat sports and situations like this, we got to stamp that out. And I'm tired of seeing outlets retweeting comments from people like Sean Strickland or Tim Kennedy or others who we know they have nothing of value to add to this conversation, but hate. And we elevate those voices by retweeting them, writing pieces about what they said, et cetera, et cetera. I don't like. Let's not do that. We really need to stop that and focus on I'm, I'm the conversation not. about in, in, inclusivity and e e equality in this conversation. I, I'm not going to fault. I'm, I'm not a fan of outlets doing that, but I can't fault them because the name of the game for outlets in any sport is to get clicks. That's how you keep your job. That's how you gain positions. That's how, I mean, it is news. Somebody who's in the sport or connected or a big name in the sport is making a comment. It is news because if we go by that logic, then if somebody supported her, then we couldn't report that either. I mean, you gotta go, you gotta be consistent. If somebody supports her, it'd be big news. So I gotta have somebody disagree with her. I, I don't agree with them disagreeing with her. I think they could put it in better terms. I think they could be more respectful or be more sensible in how they do it, but it's still news. People are trying to get clicks. That's how you keep writing articles. That's how you make money. I don't agree with it in general, but as a person who has a family, if that's how you make money, then you have to make the money somehow. And people can, they can take a moral stand, but if this is how you choose to make money and this is the best way to make money and this is what you have to do, maybe your kid or your wife doesn't care that you put that article out because electricity bills pay for another month. So while I don't, necessarily agree with pushing forward hate if a bunch of people were agreeing with her they would put that forward so if they would put the positive messages forward then we got to put the negative messages forward you just got to me it's just got to be consistent i didn't see the fight but the way people made it sound was that she completely crushed this girl like it wasn't competitive at any moment i didn't know she was rocked so if she's rocked it kind of makes me wonder like even though y'all saying she, she has a dropped she got dropped, soundly dropped. So that when people were telling me she had this huge physical advantage, now if she just walked through all the shots, then yeah, I see what you're saying. But if she was dropped and possibly almost stopped, then it's real hard for me to, to take it as, oh, she had all these advantages because 
from what I understand, the girl she fought wasn't exactly a great fighter or a great athlete. She's a, you know, fairly regular fighter, and she got stunned by her. So a lot of the talk of the talking points of her physical advantages go out the window because you would think that any person with those kind of physical advantages wouldn't get stunned or rocked or be in any danger against a woman, even a highly trained one. But most of all, if I see a girl, if I see women, female fighters or coaches of female fighters talking about it, I can almost humor them to a certain extent because they're female, they're fighters. Their fighters are in these divisions. And so they might have a legitimate concern. They might have legitimate questions. The reason I don't take a lot of other people seriously is because outside of myself, you and a few others, most people don't give a damn about women's mixed martial arts. Trust me, if they did, I would know because I'm the one writing articles, writing really good articles, sorry to say it, really good articles that are not getting a lot, lot of getting a foothold because people don't care as much about women's MMA as they do men's MMA. So if these people generally care about it, you think you hear them talking about women and women's MMA on a regular basis. And I hear people and fighters who never mentioned women's MMA who all of a sudden can't shut the fuck up about women's MMA now. Now you want to talk about the risk of these women and the danger of these women? You've never mentioned these women before. Why are you mentioning them now? You've never cared about their well-being before. Why are you mentioning it now? Because now it's something that you feel personally offends you. But for female fighters, I understand why they might make a comment because this girl might work her way to the UFC. Or maybe they'll get, they'll, get kit, they'll get cut from the UFC and they might have to fight her. Or maybe a teammate might have to fight her. So to that degree, I understand that. I always understand people who are talking about the athletic advantage is their kids might be impacted. Because I've had other, I have friends whose kids play track, they play girls basketball, and they have transgender kids in them, or transgender, you know, they have them in there, and um, their concern isn't so much that they can't do what they want, they feel their kid might be at a disadvantage athletically. I don't know if they are or they aren't, but their, their concern is from, my kids worked really hard at this, I want my kid to have a fair shot. I don't want my kid getting beaten by a person who's got such huge strength and size and power advantages. It's not even a bigotry thing. It's a, I want my kid to get their shot, and I think this kid has an advantage. But um, the other people, I can't co-sign because they've never mentioned women's mixed martial arts. They hardly ever talk about it. They don't make comments about it. They don't hold town hall meetings about it. They don't call, hey, MMA ratings. Let's, let's talk about the top girls in these weight classes. They never do that. But now all of a sudden they have opinions and thoughts over a sport, an aspect of the sport they never mention, and they don't really care about. So that's where my, my issue comes in. You haven't been consistent in your concern or your respect or your support of women's MMA, and now you have all this thing to say because someone who you disagree with as far as their lifestyle is involved in it. That gets real shaky. It's like people who, who only join into politics when it's somebody, oh, a black guy's in politics? Now I care. Well, politics goes on all the time. I don't, you shouldn't just jump in when it's a black guy. Oh, a kid, in, a kid from my social economic group is suffering? Oh, now we need, to, we need to right these wrongs. You don't really care. You care because it's close to home. You don't care because you care. And if you don't really care, I'd, I'd rather you just keep your mouth shut. You don't know anything. You don't know enough about the sport. You don't know enough about the procedures to, to comment publicly and intelligently. You want to have your little private conversations? That's fine. Keep it to yourself. We all say things we don't want to get out. We all have thoughts that we don't want to get out. Keep it to yourself. You don't need to come out and pressure anybody or harass anybody or insult anybody until you know what you're speaking of especially in the aspect of the sport that you generally don't care about. Now you want to get everybody riled up over something that two weeks ago you, you had no opinion on. I can't, I can't get with that. I need consistency from the fighters and when they care, when they don't. The hatred for women in this sport really kind of runs deep. And there was a picture that 
really outlined that. I don't know if you saw when McLaughlin and her opponent faced off, but her opponent was damn near six feet tall, and she was the bigger woman in the fight. However, somebody in MMA retweeted the picture because they believe that McLaughlin was the taller woman. So they were making a point to say, look at, how, look at how big the trans woman is. She's so much bigger than the other woman. When in reality, they had the people flipped. McLaughlin was a smaller fighter. So it really that really stood out to me because it shows that they have no idea what they're talking about. And the prominent voice when it comes to conversations like these are ones that are filled with hatred. That piece of the conversation across many different topics in MMA we need to figure a way to box that up and throw that shit out the window. Yeah, uh, I, there's not really a place for it. I, like I said, I I really think you shouldn't hate anybody. You should have an issue with anybody. You should try to get along with everybody. If you really feel some kind of way, you don't have to publicly state it. Just don't deal with that fighter. To be honest, everybody knows how everybody feels. Somebody knows how you feel. They'll keep you away from that person. You don't have to come out and publicly denounce them. You're not a politician. Nobody in MMA is so popular, they're going to shift the public thought towards something. Nobody has that kind of pull in MMA. So you don't have to come out and state your case. Just go about your business. You don't have to say anything. Like they're saying something, it's almost like they're saying something trying to incite something. Because what's who, who in MMA is so famous where what they really say might have an impact across outside of MMA? Tim Kennedy's not that guy. Maybe George St. Pierre, Conor McGregor at this point said so many crazy things. Nobody's even, nobody's going to touch what he's saying. So it's like, it's just unnecessary. You disagree with it, fine. You don't, you don't like it, fine. Then don't support her. If you have a, a fighter in your camp who's going to fight her, say, no, we're not fighting her. We don't agree. Make your stand. But everybody else has a right to make a living. They have a right to live their life. It's not my place to judge them. Maybe some of these job is to judge them. It's not mine. Do what you want. Live how you want. As long as you're not physically harming any people, I don't really care what you do because it's your life. You got to deal with it. It just doesn't need to, be, need to be the unnecessary commentary. Like I said, most people don't care about women's MMA. I do, but I bet I couldn't, I couldn't get a 30-minute conversation out of Tim Kennedy if I wanted to talk about women's MMA in general, but now he feels the need to chime in. And whether she's this or that, it goes back to the whole cyborg thing when they used to call her a man. And it's, it's just kind of gross and it's over the top and it's unnecessary. You can have your opinion. You can have your thought. You can have the craziest thought you want. Share it with your like-minded friends and shut. And you don't have to bring it to a public forum and you don't have to do anything as far as how you act or what you do towards people. Have your opinion. You can have whatever opinion you want. I don't mind people who don't like certain people. That's your business. As long as you keep it to yourself and you don't hurt that person. To be quite honest, I mean, that, that's what it comes down to. Whether it's sexism, racism, if you keep it to yourself and you don't treat people differently and you don't harm anybody, nobody gives, nobody cares what you think or what you feel. Keep it to yourself, live your life, do what you want. But people can't, it's like they can't control themselves. And that's, that's a big problem. And I guess for a certain segment of MMA fans, some of the things people are saying could be considered incendiary. Don Strickland could get somebody acting crazy and try to do something to this young lady. Ken, Tim, Tim Kennedy appeals to a certain segment who might do something to this young lady and they they'll they'll be able to say i didn't tell people to go attack her but the verbal attacks you made and the comments you made may have made people feel comfortable doing those things i'm gonna say this um it's never too early and it never costs too much to shut the fuck up period and that's what a lot of people need to do 
when it comes to topics such as these. Yep. Um, <laughs> let's move on to the final topic of the day. I wanted to UFC talk. You, excuse me. I wanted to talk about UFC Fight Night 192, which is this weekend on Saturday, and Anthony Smith is fighting Ryan Spann in the main event. But there really isn't a lot to talk about on this card. Schwan, looking at yeah. this entire deck for Saturday, what sticks out to you as a reason to watch UFC 192? At this point with the UFC, when you're watching, you're just watching for the UFC. You're just watching because you like fights. They're not even trying to make this appealing. Stan versus Smith is not appealing on any shape or form. Smith has looked terrible the last couple of years. Stan has never been anywhere near consistent or dominant. This is just a fight for a fight. We have a contractual agreement to provide you fights, so here's some fights. And the fights they have on the card, they're basically depending on the UFC brand to sell this card. Because there's not a fight on this card that says, oh, I need to pay attention to this. Oh, this is a fight I better see. This is super important for the division, but this is going to be a great fight. There's not one fight on this card that says that. Now, you might have some great fights, but there's no fight on this card that guarantees you a great fight. And there's no fight on this card that draws in anything more than people who are just fans of the UFC. Even MMA fans might not watch this because it's just not a very, it's not a bad card. It's just not the kind of card you stay home to watch if you don't have to or if you don't have any other plans. It's a card where if I have nothing to do, I'll watch it. I'm not going on my way to see Bond versus Smith. And anybody who is, you're a better MMA fan than I am. So congrats to you. No hate on them. They're all good fighters. They're all try, trying to make their name. They're all professionals. I respect that. But if this was a movie, it would not be a box office hit. It would, it would it'd be the movie that gets sent straight to streaming. This reminds me of that fight car from a few months back where um, Conor McGregor's coach got into it with people online because people were like, I'm not watching this car. I want to spend time with my family. This is another one of those cards. If I didn't have to work it, I would be doing, probably I'll be in Ratchet, but uh, it's a Saturday night. I will be working the card, but this is definitely one that doesn't have a lot of high level value right now. I mean, Anthony Smith, okay. Ariane, the, 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 the Pitsky, okay. There's some, there's some I maybe mean, watch pieces, but nothing that really makes you stop and, and want to tune into the whole thing. History. She's been one of the worst signings in UFC history. She's been so performed so badly. I mean, at one point when she came in, yeah, her fighting was a big deal. Now it's... And that's not a disrespect to her fighting ability. I'm just telling you, people pay to see winners. They pay to see exciting fighters. Smith has not been a winner, an exciting fighter, like a consistently winning exciting fighter in a while. Smith hasn't been an exciting fighter or, or consistent winner in a while either. So you're just you're just you're just basically either a fan of the fighter, or more likely you're just a fan of the U the three letters, and that's why you're tuning in. I mean, if they weren't getting money from UFC, if UFC wasn't getting money from ESPN to help fund this card, they wouldn't put this card out. They would lose money on it. Very true, there, sir. So why don't you let that gives them the leeway to put some together some trash cards because they're paid either way. They're not losing any money because of the ESPN deal. They can put out whatever they want. You watch it or you don't watch it. We already got paid. So what else are you working on, Swan? Um, let everybody know what you're working on and what we can expect from you in the next coming days and weeks. Um, I thought about doing this article where I'm going to, it's going to basically be, the premise is going to be like fighters who are on losing streaks or maybe you're even out of the sport. Like let's say, we'll take Tyrone Woodley, for example. It would be 
basically telling you three or four, maybe five things where his career went wrong and when things started to go off the rails from the, you know, from anything from how he was developed, their IQ, their character, their cardio, uh, bad matchups. And it's basically going to go one through five or five through one or four through one or three through one and give you three specific points or concepts that contributed to the downfall of this fighter where they went from a winning fighter or a contender to a fighter who's either out of the UFC um, on a four-fight losing streak or maybe is winning some and losing some, but they were previously a, a contender. It just basically tells you where it went wrong for them. From anything from being moved too fast to having too much charm and charisma, which would lead up to you being new, new too fast, not having the right fighting style, not being developed appropriately, being misdiagnosed as a fighter. Your coaches think you're a dynamic athlete and you're really an average one. Your coaches think you're a physical tank like a Jessica Andrade, but you're really a Carol, Carolina Kovacavich who is not, and them choosing a style to get you beaten half to death. And it's just going to go over, like, it'll be short, three to five points about where this, where, what led to this fighter being the current situation they are, either out of the UFC or uh, on three or four fight losing streaks. Good stuff there, sir. And I will be doing my main, my main uh, pro wrestling coverage. There will be a uh, wrestling podcast this week. Not sure what day, but there certainly will be one this week. Um, but as always, we'll be back here next week to talk about MMA and combat sports. So as always, thank you everyone for taking the time to check us out and listen to episode 217 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Please be sure to like, share, and subscribe wherever you see this content. Um, I'm Rafael Garcia with my co-host Shawan Humes here, and thank you everyone, and we'll be back next week. Have a good evening, guys.